Welcome to Creating Kesher, conversations about connecting. In each episode, I get to have a conversation with one of my colleagues about ideas, concerns, issues, and solutions to helping us deepen and improve our connections in marriage. I'm your host, Lisa Tversky. With me for this conversation is Maishi Norman, who's a psychotherapist in private practice in Lakewood, New Jersey. Welcome, Maishi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. I'm really enjoying my conversations with my colleagues, and I know I'm going to enjoy this one as well. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about creating meaning in marriage, but that can mean a few different things. So why don't you start by telling us what that means to you? Okay. So, you know, when we talk about creating meaning, we typically are referring to meaning that's created, such as when two people say, you know, we're going to create something together. Mm -hmm. We uh, have values and a value system. We want to create a family um, and we want the family to uh, work a certain way, create certain values, mm-hmm. create meaning, whether they're spiritual, religious, um, uh, financial. And that's typically what we think of when we talk about creating meaning. And all those things are actually bonding experiences. Right. Two people get together, they meet, they get to know each other, and they find common ground and common values and things they want to work towards. Yeah, in creating a life together. But there's another aspect and meaning, which is perhaps underappreciated mm-hmm. um, and sometimes just plain missed in the interpersonal relationship of the marriage. Okay. And when we talk about this meaning, it is the meaning that goes on when uh, a couple in a relationship get into some kind of friction or disagreements or disputes. And oftentimes what ends up happening is as a result is uh, one party will start to feel rejected or abandoned by the other Mm. because of the disagreement or the dispute. And if that's not addressed properly, Mm -hmm. a distance is created between the two parties. Right. Okay. And so in creating meaning, what I find valuable, and especially if if we can establish this with new couples who are just beginning their relationship, is to start to have a conversation or a dialogue about what does it mean when I reject you in this way? What does it mean when I argue with you? What does it mean when I disagree with you? So that we can depersonalize, but not just depersonalize in this particular instance. We can create a meaning of this kind of interaction that will remain with us throughout our relationship. I'm thinking of a, for instance, um, just so people can understand in a very concrete way what we're talking about. I'm thinking of a couple where one really enjoys these, you know, discussions that turn into very passionate, um expressive conversations but the other one experience it is experiences it as attacking and distressing and 
One is experience bonding. The other is experiencing attacking. And so I think there's two issues that I want you to go into here. Number one is creating that meaning for each other. But then also, I think we should talk about how do we address when things do mean very different things to each other. How do we hold both of those in one couplehood? So let's first Great. first go to the expressing or the 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 sharing what something means to me, or how do I know I need to do that? When do I need to do that? Where do I? Right. Yeah. So so you know, there's two. I would say there's two pieces to this. Uh, number one is addressing it in the here and now when an instance or a situation or circumstance comes right. up. Number two is the broader intervention, which would be kind of establishing the rules of mm. our marriage. So uh, if if a couple can somehow establish the rules of the marriage from the beginning, then it becomes much easier to address it circumstantially. So here, here's what it would look like. Uh, I like to give uh, a story, a little story of a couple who did this and did it very successfully. And, and the story is that they went for a walk one night after being married for about six months. And, you know, the, you know, the first week or two, everything's great. And then, you know, uh, who's, who's, uh, whose family are we going to this week or this mm-hmm. weekend comes up and it's, well, I really want to go to mine, but I want to go to yours. And then maybe those first few weeks, it's like, let's go to right. yours. But then after the first few months, it's like, how about if we go to mine, <laughs> right. you know, so we're really getting into the marriage and really getting deeper into mm-hmm. the relationship. And, uh, and so, hurt starts to happen. Rejection starts to happen. And these are normal occurrences and relationships. Mm-hmm. A real relationship is not a relationship where no occurrences or hurt ever right. happens. Those are superficial right. relationships. Real relationships are those that are built through the hurt and the pain or the energy mm-hmm. that that brings. And when we can create safety because I can express my feelings to you and you can express my your feelings to me and we can receive mm-hmm. them properly, that's when we're developing the relationship. Right. So after the six months where some bouts came up, they sat down, you know, they went for a walk and they sat down at the lake and they said, look, sometimes uh, I get moody, she says to him. Uh, and he says to her, well, sometimes I get triggered. You know, I have a rough day at work or or." wherever something happened in the supermarket, um, I come home and I'm I'm a little snappy. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We married each other because we have strong feelings for each other and I love you and want to take care of you and I'll continue to love you. And I also want you to understand that sometimes I'm going to snap at you because I'm in a bad Mm -hmm. mood. When that happens, let's establish for now and forever that that's not ever because I don't love you or I hate you or I don't respect mm. you. It's because there are particular triggers that cause me to be this way. Okay. That's baseline. Mm-hmm. That's our relationship. Do you think you can understand that when that happens, and even though you may be hurt, and I can understand that, do you think that you can understand that that's the meaning of what's going on in this instance? Mm-hmm. And if a couple can effectively establish that, it creates a long-term safety in that relationship because through thick and thin, they're in this together. Right. 
Right. And they can, I'm assuming they can or need to evolve the conversation from there. You know, some people hearing this might be thinking to themselves, what do you mean? So I just have to be, I just have to put up with being snapped at. It doesn't matter that I know you don't mean that you don't love me or you don't mean to hurt me. I, I, I can't tolerate that. And I think that there are people that are, are hearing that and feeling stuck with that. But I think that there's what to do about that. Uh, There's, there's meaning back, um, you know, that you understand that when you're snappy, I'll need to make myself scarce because even if you don't mean it, what it means to me makes me not want to be around it, which again is not yes. me saying, I don't want to be around you. I still love you, but I'm not going to be around snapping. Exactly. Well, well, the beauty of establishing something like this is that it actually gives the, the other spouse the opportunity to come back and say, well, uh, does that mean that that gives you a blanket right when you're snappy to say anything you want mm. to me and uh, for her or him to be able to establish that that doesn't mean that it gives you a right to and how should how should we respond or how should I respond when you're snappy and it's really pushing the limits but because the conversation and the dialogue was already opened with this meaning you know in establishing this meaning now that dialogue should actually continue right right but probably not in the midst of one of these interactions because then people are just too too on alert or too upset to really have a meaningful uh, dialogue, I think. Um, yes, yes. Well, the more preemptive it can be, you know, that's always the rule, that the more preemptive um, problem solving is, the more... Uh, flexibility and understanding and mutuality there will be when the circumstance arises. But uh, even putting that aside, the mere fact that they created this meaning will give less negative meaning to the the negative feelings that come up circumstantially. And um, I think also, you know, one of the clues or cues to use is that when you're feeling distressed about how something went or about the pattern of how certain things go, the thing to do is to sort of retreat and evaluate self retreat. Don't, don't try and figure it out in the middle of being all hot and bothered about it. But also when I retreat to calm down and to figure it out, I need to focus on me. What is my part in this? What do I do here that I can share with my spouse that I'm not doing in bad faith, that I'm not doing because I don't care, that I'm not doing because I don't want to be here with you. But when I have this kind of day or when this or this happens, this is what happens for me. And what I would need from you is... Or what it doesn't mean is, or what it does mean is, but not to, you know, I think another mistake that couples make besides never having this conversation is that if they do try and have the conversation, the conversation is that I'm going to tell you what you're doing 
and what you need to stop doing as opposed to what my part is and what my meaning is and what I want you to know, which is very different. Right. Sure. Sure. So, you know, one of the things this does is it, like you're saying, it enables the aggressor to be able to come back afterwards and say, well, that was one of those bad moods that I was talking mm -hmm. about when we had this conversation and I feel really badly. And oftentimes when people don't have this preemptive conversation or establish this meaning, it's too shameful right. for the aggressor to come back and sort of fess up and admit it. Um, and they have to hold their ground, which, which uh, decomposes or deteriorates the mm -hmm. relationship because now I turn my head away from you because I can't admit that what I did was so horrible because that I'm essentially saying I'm mm -hmm. horrible as opposed to when this meaning was already established. I'm not saying I'm horrible. I'm saying there it was. Right. I call, I actually call this the anchor. Mm. This is an anchor for us to, you know, uh, uh, anchor ourselves in when these uh, instances and situations come up that sort of depersonalizes and uh, creates less of a threat. Uh, and it actually allows, I know this as bizarre as this sounds, but it allows the couple to be angry at mm. each other without being hateful with each other or towards right. each other. Meaning that because they can know that there are ground rules or know there are parameters or know that it still doesn't mean certain horrible things, they can be exactly. freer to be angry and have that conversation or try and struggle through something um, in a better way. Yeah. Right. Right. And for the person who was aggressive, you know, uh, he or she can then come back and say, you know, what you did earlier really wasn't OK. Right. Uh, and, and again, it's about what you did that wasn't OK, not about who you are or the meaning of our relationship. That's right. not OK. Again, it just it just um, dissolves so much of the defensiveness that we find that occurs in relationships when. Uh, disputes or fights, if we can call them that, or arguments erupt, and uh, they feel so personal. And then everybody starts to become defensive to hold their own ground versus being able to step away and say, okay, this was this was one of those right. bad days. You mentioned a word before, and I'm not sure if, if uh, going towards that is going to get us off on another tangent, but I think it'll, even if it does, it'll be a good one. Um, you mentioned the word shame. And I think that one of the things that really holds people back, there's many things that can hold a couple back from having this kind of conversation, but one of the things is the shame over that people feel over their shortcomings or their fallibilities or um, their humanness. Um, I get snappy when... I've had a hard day at X feels very uh, uh, um, shameful or very vulnerable, very exposing, especially in the new parts or the new times of marriage and the earlier parts of a marriage where I still want to believe that you think I'm perfect or I still want to, you to think that I am, you know, whatever. Um to come forward and say, by the way, here are my flaws, can be very daunting and um, people avoid it. Yeah, it's an interesting point you're raising because if we really think enough into it, 
what we'll discover is that people who are really uh, fully and completely self-confident probably don't have to have this conversation mm. to begin with because uh, when there is uh, anger or um, some kind of uh, disagreement or hard feelings, it, it takes on less of a personal meaning to begin mm. with for them. And so they are less likely to get into those kinds of uh, arguments or disputes that become personal. Right. So it's it's really an intervention for mm-hmm. most of us who struggle with some degree of shame uh, and are at risk of not wanting to feel exposed to our right. spouse. Right. And I think that, you know, even though it might sound basic or obvious, I think it bears saying that usually most people will be actually um, appreciative of and maybe even in awe of someone coming forward with the self-awareness and the humility to say, by the way, here's an issue I have, or here's a thing that happens for me. Um, And that that's actually going to create more closeness or more respect than constantly be hurting by your behavior that you, you know, don't address or don't accept or don't, you know, or refuse to discuss with me. That's actually going to be much more negative in the relationship than coming forward and saying, hey, you know, I got some flaws. Yeah. And we know that we know this, that vulnerability is one of the key uh, factors in uh, strengthening relationships. And I think that that if we can say uh, the brave one is the one who comes forward Mm -hmm. first, but uh, it's fear to assume that it also creates reciprocity. And if I make myself vulnerable in the relationship and come forth with my misgivings, I'm creating safety about having misgivings in the relationship or about having personal misgivings. So that enables you to come forward with some of your misgivings. We've created safety and trust in each other. Yeah, such a good point that when when I, I make it possible for you to do it. Really yes. important point. Um, yeah, I call that safety and trust yeah, in the relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it might be helpful for us to talk about if if we need to come forward and we want to do so without creating shame, you know, something happened, we're distressed, we've recognized what our part is, we want to come forward and discuss it and really keep it on ourselves, not as a covert way of, you know, wagging our finger at our spouse, but we really want to come forward to explain ourselves. Um, is there a way, though, if our spouse doesn't seem to be reciprocating to gently, with the least possibility of creating shame for them, um, help, you know, coax them forward, coax them to participate in the conversation that we're trying to create? Right. Well, this is this is a, a, a little bit more complicated because people are so mm-hmm. complex and you have different kinds of personalities. Right. So there are uh, people whose personalities uh, are so set in uh, highly defensive uh, mode mm-hmm. 
uh, or highly triggered mode that they may not be capable without doing uh, mm -hmm. deeper work. They might not be capable in allowing themselves to be vulnerable. But then you have others, you know, and obviously those cases are much more complex and probably won't be able to be resolved just in a spousal uh, discussion and conversation and probably need more, more uh, intensive mm -hmm. and professional work. But then, then you have those who are just not uh, expressive, you know, either by nature, they're not expressive or it hasn't been uh, cultivated. And I think in those cases where the person has the capacity or the potential to become more expressive, there we may need some time to evolve in which the spouse is willing to be vulnerable, will continue to be willing to be vulnerable until um, the other spouse feels a little mm -hmm. safer. Uh, and so there may be interpersonal kinds of skills where uh, coaxing will be helpful, such as uh, what, what we would call um, giving choices or giving mm -hmm. options. Right. So, you know, sometimes we find this with children, but this would be similar in, in less expressive people where they have a hard time articulating or identifying what it is. And if we give them choices or options, you know, is it like this for you or is it like mm -hmm. that for you? Uh, sometimes it helps them to uh, close in or hone in and identify specifics. Right. But again, it's, it is taking more work on uh, the the initiators. Right. The more, and, the, you know, so it really depends right. on the circumstance. And, and yeah, the more work on the the initiator, the more expressive ones. And, and, you know, I like that point about time. And even within time, there's a nuance. There's the time of, I just wanted to share this with you and completely leaving it. There's the time of, I just wanted to share this with you. What was it for you? Was it this or that? Um, where you're giving those options, like you said, to the person who might not be able to come up with them on their own. Um, I'll very often find myself giving adults a feelings chart so they have the language and the choices in front of them. Um, and you kind of really have to have a level of sophistication or emotional intelligence to figure out as the spouse who's initiating, when am I supposed to just be quiet after I share? And when is it okay to give choices? And that won't be experienced as, you know, pushing. And sometimes it's going to be experienced as pushing and sometimes it's not. Or for some spouses, even asking a question with choices is too much too soon. And for other spouses, they'll be able to engage as long as they get choices. Um, but I think that you have to be focused outward to pick up which it is. Is it this or is it that? Well, what do you see on your spouse's face when you give choices? Interest or closing in further then giving choices was too much also which can be really frustrating for the super expressive spouse yes yeah yes i, I think stereotypically you know the, the guys are the ones who are saying uh you know when, when the wives ask how's your day they say a good right. and bad what we really need to look at is uh whether you know if the initiators you know if the initiator's vulnerability will somehow allow or enable the other person to become more mm. vulnerable, then it means that that person has the capacity 
to express and be vulnerable. And they're just waiting for somebody else to take mm-hmm. the plunge uh, as opposed to those people who, who, you know, really are limited in their capacity to express or be vulnerable. And again, in those cases, it's going to be a little bit right. more complicated. Uh, either it's going to take more time or it may take more of a right. different kind of more work. intervention. And, and, you know, part of the, the, one of the benefits or one of the reasons that I wanted to do this kind of podcast was a, to give people the opportunity to understand and maybe change things without a whole intervention process if it's not needed, but also to raise issues and help people understand that if you're getting the right sort of direction and it's not taking you anywhere, don't wait especially in this kind of scenario that you're creating where one is an initiator and the other is turning inward and further trying if it's turning them further inward. Um, you don't want to keep going in that direction. You don't even want to just keep going for months and months, just sharing and getting nothing because at that some point that's going to bust on the initiator's side. If I'm going to just share with you and just share with you and be totally silent afterwards and just share with you for months and I get nothing that there is a sense of rejection and abandonment there. Sure. Sure. And you know, you made yourself vulnerable, you opened up and you're getting nothing in return, Uh, not support and not reciprocity. uh, That is that, you know, you kind of feel uh, ashamed that you uh, let your guard down Mm -hmm. so much uh, to this point. And and that's, and and yeah, your, your point is so well taken because the um, what I like so much about this intervention uh, in early marriage of creating meaning is exactly that. If we if we succeed to create that meaning in the initial stages of marriage, then uh, we cause so much prevention of miscommunication, uh, hard right. feelings, uh, shame, rejection. And if if we do an intervention like this and it's not taking then it may be a sign that there's something more that needs to be addressed. And why should we wait till 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road, you know, when, when there's so much collateral damage that could have been done to our marriage, our relationship, our sense of aloneness uh, and our right. children, if we can, if we can uh, um, prevent that. Right. from the I try and always remember, you know, whenever we're talking about any of these um, topics on the podcast to to make that point that you know so many of the messages that are out there about marriage don't remember to remind people that if you're doing this and it's not going it's not you you need more help because so many people you know that I'll see sometimes in in therapy the reason that it took so long for them to get to somebody is because they were trying to help themselves but they just kept thinking, oh, I must not be doing it right, or I must not be doing it enough, or I must have to try it a different way. And that could go on for years rather than sort of that message being, no, no, you try your best for a period of time that's shorter than years. And if it's not moving, you don't just keep looking at you. You want to try and reach out and get more help than that. Yeah. So I, I think it would be important to, to look at some of the signs. Let, let's review the intervention and then let's look at some of the signs to identify whether the intervention was actually effective or uh, not so effective. And then sometimes it might just need a little tweaking and sometimes it needs Great. deeper intervention. 
you know, I think the crux of the intervention is uh, for a young couple to be able to sit down and say, uh, this is how I operate, you know, the, uh, these, whether they're my misgivings or they're normal. Uh, sometimes I get into a bad mood or they're, the following things are triggers for me. And when those triggers occur, this is how I may act react, or react to them. And this is how it might feel to you. But I want you to know that I care deeply about you and I love you and I respect you. Even when I do that, those are kind of itches mm. that come up and, and then I have to scratch mm. them. Okay. But the, they're not ever personal. Even when I say I'm at it, I don't ever mean that I disrespect you. That's just my way of expressing mm. myself. Mm-hmm. And these can come up in ways, cultural differences, ways of culturally expressing yourself. Again, this can save that. And if the couple can express that to them, to each other, and then they can fall back on that when those kinds of incidents occur, we're upset at each other for a day, but tomorrow we can look at each other again. We know that the intervention was effective. Mm-hmm. If even after the, that intervention was done, there's still periods of time where a dispute or an argument will come up and we won't talk for a week or two weeks or we continue going at each other's throats for a period of time afterwards, then we know that's, that at least one of the participants in this uh, dialogue uh, is not up to is not up to that stage of mm-hmm. development and may need some deeper intervention. Right. I would also say that if they can't um, sort of um, come to an agreement on where their boundaries are and how they're going to respect each other's boundaries. So if I, you know, express to you that when I get in a bad mood or when I get in a bad mood about a particular thing, I just need to be left alone. And you can understand that and you can understand that I don't mean anything rejecting about it, but you cannot leave me alone. You just can't do it. Or you say, when I say that was so stupid and I say, I understand you don't mean anything, but I can't hear stupid. If we can't come to an agreement about how we're going, I get it. You don't mean it, but I can't tolerate your thing that you do. Then you might also need some different kind of intervention. When something something makes sense intellectually, but on an emotional level, we still can't tolerate right. it in spite and, in, and certainly in spite of an agreement mm-hmm. that we made that, we're, that I'm going to tolerate it because I understand it. Then there's a disconnect in the person's ability to function. It's not that the agreement wasn't done. Right. It could be that, you know, disappearing is just something I can't tolerate because that was done to me so much. Or it could be that. I understand that when you use the word stupid, you're you're it's not personal, but I I don't want my kids to hear that kind of thing. I don't know, whatever it is, but if we can't if we can't shift enough to be in sync with each other, then we probably need to do to we might need some outside help instead of keeping on arguing about it or trying to make the other person get it. No, but I don't mean it. But I don't mean anything when I go in my room for an hour. I don't mean anything. I know, but I can't tolerate that when I keep we keep going over the same ground over and over and over and over and we can't seem to land somewhere together. Maybe we also need some outside intervention. Yeah, we we see this in the in the therapy room often where we make rules about how 
the conversation is going to go, you know, such as taking turns or waiting for the other person to finish. And both parties agree to the rules. Mm -hmm. But then when one spouse says something that activates the other spouse, they cannot keep to the rules. They say, but I just have to. But you, I just have to say this because she's saying something that's not true. And we say, well, we agree that even if the person's saying that something that's not true, you're going to hold the thought and wait till the end. But I just have to. So th that's kind of the illustration mm. or a microcosm of what goes on in their general right. relationship. Yeah. And, a, and a, just a, a mutual agreement probably will be. Right. Inadequate. And then there's, you know, other strategizing that needs to happen around containment or around, you know, what we will agree to or won't agree to, et cetera. But at least you get a sense of where the line is when you can really work this through on your own and you're making enough progress, not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's married. Marriage is perfect, but you're making enough progress to both be happy and have that feeling of safety and security that you mentioned. And when you're not doing it on your own, and instead of continuing to try to do it on your own and be distressed to, to reach out. Yeah. And I think it could, it could lead to such a beautiful, healthy and supportive relationship when that when the basis of the relationship is very depersonalized right. and more about, you know, I struggle and you struggle and I'm going to be here when you get this regulated and you'll be here when I get this regulated because it's not about you and it's not yeah. about me. That that's an amazing um, place to be when we can really be there for each other in that supportive way um, when I need it and when you need it. So that's, that's the, the goal that we should have in mind. Um, and be working towards. Absolutely. And um, I think you gave everybody a lot of food for thought in how to achieve that. So I really, I really appreciate you giving the time and the attention. Well, I appreciate the, I appreciate the platform. I hope people are able to uh, hear this, absorb it, uh, and yes. employ it. And if they can't, they should reach out to somebody. Okay. Thanks right. so much. Thank, Thank you, Lisa. You, Talk to you. Bye.